Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Hey, thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 243. I am John Davis. Letting me today are writer, two-wheel, and producer Brian Robinson. Hello, everyone. Good day, Brian. Our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos. Hello there. Who also produces the podcast. And last but certainly not least, online content coordinator, Jessica Ray. Hey, guys. And good day to you, Jessica. Okay, we got a lot to talk about. Three vehicles, a lightning round, even a viewer question. We'll see if anybody's got a rant and rave. But let's start with uh, you, Jessica, and give us the lowdown on the latest, most popular vehicle in America for more years than we can count. And I think the world, the new generation 2021 Ford F-150 light duty pickup. Take it away, Jess. Yeah, I mean, this is, on the outside, it doesn't really look too much different. Uh, the front gets a, uh, some, some upgrades and it's, uh, it's certainly a little bit more aerodynamic than, than it was before. Um, but of course, the biggest deal about this F-150 is its new uh, full hybrid power boost engine. Um, I explain that. So it's, it's exactly what it is. It's a full hybrid engine. Um, but I know that when we talk about hybrids, a lot of the time we think it's going to have like this amazing fuel economy. Um, that's not really the case with this hybrid this truck is meant to be a mobile generator. So you get the pro power onboard generator, which is, uh, <laughs> it really is a game changer. When I got to see it in person, I got to see it being used. Um, you have a few different, there's three different options that you have for power wise. And um, it's a, it, it you know, the plugs are in the, the bed of the truck. And it, it seems like they sort of thought of everything. Um, it runs on two circuits and it has uh, an automatic shutoff. And you can actually use the truck for 32 hours straight mm. uh, using, uh, having things plugged in throughout the truck inside and out. Um, they had like uh, a flat screen TV. They had a grill, like some small grills, a refrigerator all plugged in. And you can always look uh, on the infotainment center to see if how close you are to um, the, the maximum uh, power that is allotted. All right, um, I want to stop yeah. because you're, you're talking about uh, an onboard power source for tools mm -hmm. and for camping. Mm -hmm. When I asked at a, a, a meeting, and I haven't driven it like you have, when I asked at a meeting, does that mean it could be used as an emergency generator for your home? The eyeballs got big and they told me no, that that's not allowed by fire departments, codes, whatever. And I'm sure that's because of the uh, exhaust emissions. They're afraid it would, somebody would run it in the garage and it would get into the house. But tell us that situation. What, what is this for? And more importantly, what is it not for? Sure. I mean, so it's for people who, um, tailgaters. I, it was really interesting because, you know, 
a lot of times you're hanging out right in the back of the tailgate. The, uh, the exhaust is routed away, so you're not worried about... You're outside. Yeah, when you're outside. And so um, for, for people tailgating, for those who are camping, and for, for those... Work. And for work for on job sites... You I was going to say, there's a, a lot of leisure of, happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, these trucks are bought They're for leisure. many times for yeah. leisure. Absolutely. So. They definitely highlight that. Of course, they also highlight the 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 power tools. They had one that was had tons of power tools connected to it. So, um, it it really is overall all around. You can sort of plug anything into it. And I I asked them. I was like, "What have you?" Because they what Ford tried to do was test as much things as they they could to see how much was compatible and make sure really everything is compatible with the generator. And um, I think they even charged a Mach E with it, so I thought that was that was really interesting. Um, and of course, if you're ever worried if you're out somewhere sort of remote, the truck has an automatic shutoff. So if you're using the power, because it'll first use up the battery charge and then it'll turn on the engine, use the engine, and you have a, a it's about a thirty gallon tank. And you can right. get 700 miles with a full tank. And it will automatically shut off when it's down to about 30 miles so you can get to the nearest gas station. Oh. So you don't have to worry if you're out somewhere sort of remotely um, that your car is just going to, or that the, the, the truck is just yeah. going <laughs> to get stuck no, there. Get Unless stuck. the gas station is 40 miles away. <laughs> yeah, then but, you might have to keep a closer eye. <laughs> But I'm correct. No, no, don't connect your house to it. I mean, no, what's going to keep people from running a, a cord inside? I get it. But, you know, a lot of houses have these panels where you can plug a generator into it. And I assume that's a no-no. And yeah. does, they, did even do – go ahead. I mentioned it. I asked them because you were like, I don't play a little devil's advocate. Right. So I did ask them, you know, the engineers when I was there. And – um they they were like anything that you just take it out of your house and plug it in sort of deal i don't you know nobody wants to be part of that of any liabilities and and there's warnings you know don't don't have this running in your garage sort of deal right. so uh, well, you know what's the top one it's like 7500 watts anyway uh, 72 72 it's a lot i mean you can yes. power a lot of stuff in your house on yes that. yeah i've got a six a 65 100 um, kilowatt portable generator and I can power a couple of refrigerators you know a lot of lights a lot of stuff um, okay let's get uh, back to the truck itself um, it's got some other new features what was it like to drive it I mean did you notice anything remarkable because this in a lot of ways it's the rest of the truck is pretty evolutionary yeah I mean of course when it comes to I was able to drive the hybrid and then sort of their rest of their regular powertrains. Mm -hmm. So um, I thought it was, I thought it was really comfortable. I thought they did some upgrades on the suspension a little bit. So it was, uh, I drove it around sort of the back roads of Detroit and, um, or outside of Detroit where their proving grounds are. And so I thought it was really comfortable. And of course the hybrid, you, that engine, it's really quiet. Um, don't feel like you're driving a hybrid. I um, one of the things I did notice was that there was not our the usual hybrid droning 
mm. noises. Um, I mean, I think I notice a little bit, but you know, I've driven a number of hybrids. So that was something I was looking out for. Your average person wouldn't notice that. Of course, the hybrid engine also becomes the most powerful F-150 engine with uh, mm -hmm. 430 horsepower and over 500 pound-feet of torque. It can tow up to 12,000 pounds. So um, I was really, really impressed with it. It was, it, it was really powerful and it was very comfortable. Um, one of the things is the 10-speed the automatic for the regular powertrains and the hybrids. The gear ratios are exactly the same. And I was impressed. I thought it shifted very well. I know that's one thing we get complaints about with, with some of these 9-speed, 10-speeds, um, is that you know on the downshift, it might not shift it's great. Um, but I had no problem getting up to speed and then sort of braking. Um, of course, another thing it gets is a larger infotainment center. Uh, the screen is, is it's, it's large because what this F-150 is capable of is Ford's co-pilot, which is their hands-free driving system that um, I know the Mach-E will have. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't get to test it out or anything because Ford, I think, expects to roll it out, I believe, next summer. But it has the capability and what it has is three cameras that are watching you, one on the driver's side door and two above the infotainment system. And they're going to be watching your eyes so that you're paying attention to the road, even when your hands aren't on the wheel. <laughs> um, so that will be certainly interesting for us to test when the capability is, is available. But that will be something that you can get. Um, I believe it is with a subscription. So while your car might be, while your truck might be equipped with it, uh, you don't actually have to have it, fortunately. Let's Anybody else want to jump in here? I've sort of been hogging this discussion. <laughs> uh, I would say prior to COVID-19, the uh, impending zombie apocalypse was like my biggest fear in life. So this sounds like would be a perfect vehicle for that. Um, but since I can't power my house with it now that COVID-19 has replaced that fear, um, I'll hold judgment until I actually drive it. I, I yeah. keep, yeah. I, I hear things about these um, fully foldable or reclinable seats to take naps or brainstorming sessions as they call it <laughs> on the job site. I'd be uh, interested to give one of those a test run. Did they do any kind of demonstration? Like, did you get to mess with that at all? Cause aren't they yeah. massaging too? Like if you get the top end? Um, I don't think I had one that was massaging, but they do, you know, fold all the way back. And of course there's a, because they do that, there's a ton of room in the back seat as well. There's all these hidden storage compartments and stuff. Um, Love it. But that, the, the max reclined seats, I think, are going to be a big hit because uh, tradesmen are constantly having to, you know, uh, every, to sleep in their trucks. It's not unusual for them to sleep there um, or even if you wanted to take, to take it camping. So there's a, it's, it's very roomy. One thing I think people will make take some time to get used to is, is it does have um, an all digital dash, which I know is not uh, a favorite of everyone, but I thought the numbers were big enough and I thought it was very clear and there's still gauges and such um, on there. So I thought that was, uh, so I thought that was pretty nice. Good truck. I think, I think it's, I, 
I, I was really impressed with it uh, personally. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for us to like get it here for a couple weeks. And so we can really put it through. Uh... Oh, I also got to do off-road. I forgot about that. I did. I got to take it off-roading and um, that was really impressive too as well. So they, there were some spots where I was like, I don't know that I'm going to make it, but it, it really held its own. It's got a lot of really great uh, drive modes, slippery, dirt and sand, mud, snow, eco, sport. So um, really they're optimizing it for all different types of driving weather. Now, it was only a few years ago when we were all very skeptical that Ford was um, trying to reinvent the pickup truck with the all aluminum body. And, and of course that went very well. And then the V6 tur twin turbo and that went well. And, you know, they're moving fast. And of course we all know there's a full EV F-150 coming down the pike too. So uh, I think, I don't think this onboard generator though was, uh, was expected. So it's really cool. Can't wait to try it out. Okay, thanks, Jessica. That was very interesting. Let's move on to the second vehicle, and that is the Volvo XC40 Recharge. Now, Volvo is doing the recharge name for anything that's electrified. However, it's a little confusing because the XC40 Recharge we had here is all-electric, and it's actually Volvo's first all-electric vehicle on the market along with the Polestar 2, their sub-brand. It's their first all-electric SUV. In Europe, they sell a plug-in hybrid, but that is not the vehicle they're selling here right now. This is a pure electric. Uh, I had quite a bit of time in it. Uh, it's got uh, a lot of horsepower, like 402. Uh, when I compared it to the regular gasoline-powered XC40 that we had a lot of experience with a couple years back. It's a couple seconds faster, zero to 60, under five seconds. You do feel the weight of the batteries. Uh, they're basically uh, under the floor, but there's really no compromise in carrying capacity or cargo room uh, for people that are worried about getting caught somewhere. Uh, it has a range of just over 200 miles, I think 208. Um, however, you can recharge it at a DC fast charger in 45 minutes, uh, get 80%, 40 minutes, I think, to get 80% recharge. So you shouldn't be caught too far with home from home. Uh, I did notice that when I drove it at any kind of pushing it, I thought you actually had a little bit more balance. It was a little bit more stable, and I think that's because the batteries are mounted uh, low and fast. Um, didn't notice any particular uh, uh, objectionable noises. You don't obviously have a gas engine, but there is a little bit of a whir. Uh, battery capability seemed to be quite good at 78 kilowatt hours. So overall, my, my impression was a very good one. I did not charge it up at home, uh, but I did charge it up on a 240 system at work. And I remember coming back after about four hours and it was almost uh, completely recharged. So if this is the direction Volvo was obviously going in, I think it's a good one. However, I will say that for me, 200 mile range is really not enough anymore. I mean, we, we've gone past that. When the Chevy, uh, you know, Bolt came out, it had 238 or whatever it was. 
now we're sort of looking at stuff having 300 miles to be, shall we say, a good substitute for a, uh, either a plug-in hybrid or a gas-powered vehicle. Anybody else have any experiences with it? I mean, I was going to ask you, John, the, um, with your kind of a little bit of an engineering background, is the reason that a smaller, it's a subcompact, is the reason it's, it's smaller or the reason it doesn't get the 300 miles of range, just like packaging, can they just not get a big enough battery underneath the floor and keep it as an XC40? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's all a matter of how much battery you can stuff into it. And also the generation of the batteries. What we're seeing already is some vehicles coming out with second generation and even talking about third generation lithium ion batteries where the density of charge they can get into the, uh, the same size battery cell is going up. And as that happens, they also happen to be getting the price down. That's why you keep reading about all these uh, EV vehicles getting close to parity with gasoline engines for operating costs over the long haul. So it's a matter of how much space you've got and what generation battery you've got so you can get the density of charge. Uh, I remember when we had the um, uh, the Audi e-tron in, it was just under 200 miles range, about 100 and, I don't know, 190 or so. And I did a trip up to the hills of uh, Pennsylvania uh, and back. And I, you know, I was down to about 30, 40 miles, you know, an equivalent of a gallon, two gallons of gas getting back and got a little nervous. So the range anxiety was still there. And I guess currently for me, I would be, have to need to be up 300 before I would want to take it on a trip. Around town, I think 200 miles is fine. You probably wouldn't charge it up once every two weeks. Yeah, I think I was on the reveal, um, God, it was a, a year ago now. And the, uh, I remember their big thing, with, which a lot of e, uh, EV manufacturers are doing, is um, when you decide to go somewhere on a trip, you can plug it in like you traditionally would on your nav, but it'll plan the route for you so that yeah. it makes sure you have enough range to get to this charging station, which um, I haven't tested it in the real world. And I think that's something we should definitely do when given the opportunity, but uh, that should do a lot to quell people's anxieties, being able to see it in real time, what, what's available and, and, and know that I can get there with this many miles left. Yeah, I think 200 miles is a good, important step. I mean, I, I haven't driven the XC40, but I did spend quite a bit of time in the Polestar 2, uh, which I don't want to talk about too much because I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. But same powertrain, and uh, I drove it a lot. Never had, you know, it's driving around for a while and come back and still have, you know, 75, 100-mile range uh, to me was fine. Uh, I was very impressed with the overall powertrain. Uh, very smooth. Uh, if any, and the interior is just unbelievably nice in that Polestar. Yeah. I can't believe if any Tesla owner were to get inside that, they would be like, you know, what the heck? If I, you know, this <laughs> is like a real, it? this is like a real car. I can't believe it. So, uh, you know, I think that again, I don't want to talk about it too much, but, uh, I think Volvo's really got something going on. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, uh, with that 200 mile range, they, a very similar to, uh, say the the mini SE that we that we uh, tested a few yeah. months ago, you know they didn't do any significant changes to it to incorporate you know a, a larger battery. So you're getting an XC40. That's what you're getting. Right. Um, it's just electric. So I think that is a pro and a con in itself because 
it's a pro you're still getting that vehicle but yeah it it that 200 mile range is i think a lot of people maybe even and maybe even for that price point might think eh, maybe i would go with an alternative um, well you the you know it's a valid point because the tesla model y which is about the same you know low 50s uh, price as uh, the xc40 recharge has a 300 mile range, uh, slightly over 300, 325, I think. Yeah, and, and the um, Mach-E you know, officially got a 300 mile right. range as well. So, um, and Greg will be able to talk about that eventually. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's obviously a step in the right direction, um, but I think it ends up coming down to, does this make sense for me? So. I, I, think you're, I think you're all right, because you gotta remember, I mean, they're marketing this in Europe, and in Asia, but particularly in Europe, where the distances that people normally travel by car are much shorter, something with a 200 mile range is probably perfect because they can plug it in when they get there. Uh, but here, uh, it's still, you know, do you want to pay $50,000 for something that can only uh, do that? So I guess that's independently. I mean, my, I was ready, you know, I really was interested in the, uh, the Mini SE, but, you know, 100 mile range was, is kind of like so passe now. You wish they had waited a little bit longer, which I guess they're going to have another model soon with a longer range. Um, yeah, and I would just add that hardly anybody has an EV as their only car in the household. So right. most people will still have a gas engine car, whether it's hybrid or a plug-in, that they can take on those longer trips. Uh, that's certainly how I would do it. So. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I was looking at a Mini SE as a, a a town car, you know, something to use around town. Uh, I did want to also piggyback though on Brian's comments about the interior. You know, there's nothing really, there's not too much on the inside of the XC40 recharge that gives it away. Uh, so obviously some extra readouts, but I've gotten used to the Volvo tablet style interface. And yeah, you could say it's a copy of the Tesla, but it's got manual controls to override things. It's a heck of a lot easier to use than the uh, tablet and, and, a, and a Tesla Model Y uh, as far as what you can get to. So yeah, yeah, you get into the Polestar 2 or the Volvo and you think, gee, maybe the Tesla engineers should learn something from somebody else, but I'm sure that won't happen. <laughs> okay, let's move on to our third car. This is a uh, pretty cool one because basically, we didn't think this was gonna happen. Uh, the 2022, Subaru BRZ, second generation of the BRZ sports coupe, sports car, whatever you want to call it. Um, certainly, I think looks a lot more aggressive. What do you guys think? Oh, uh, I didn't think it looked that much different, really. I think the big... Well, the front uh, end was a little meaner, don't you? I think the big thing was the new chassis and mm. a little more power, although, you know, Subaru, they just... They don't like to give you a lot of, they like to give you a little teenty bit to keep you it out, I guess. And it's not even a new engine. It's the Ascent engine, which, mm -hmm. not, which you can get a manual trans. So now I'm like hoping they'll, you know, have an Ascent with a manual trans at some point, but that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> I don't think you'll live that long. But, no, I mean, you know, we didn't even think the first BRZ would be out and we didn't think it would last and we didn't yeah. expect the second one, but I mean, it's, a, it's an awesome car. I don't know. It's hard to, I would have to drive it, but it's hard, you know, with the Supra being there with like twice as much power and same basic look and not much, not that much more money. Um, 
you know, it, I don't know. I wish it the best of luck. I know it has some fans, and I love driving it. So uh, I think it's awesome they brought another one out. It, it has fans in the tuner market because they'll take it and they'll throw turbos on it, and then they'll put a whole bunch of negative camber, take away some camber and slam it to the ground and go to Cars and Coffee and talk about, you know, how great their BRZ is. <laughs> um, it's to, to the styling point, they, they made it more modern. I'm not sure it's any meaner. It seems like a little bit more like bulky is not the word, but a little bit more rounded. The original BRZ kind of had really sharp angles, especially in the headlight area. Now everything's a little bit more um, rounded out. Uh, the interior, which Subaru just kind of sticks with that same style of uh, like, it's, it's getting more modern, but it's still more of a throwback, but not really to me in a good throwback way. It's more of just like outdated. Uh, but the manual transmission, uh, glad they're going to keep that around. I don't think you could bring the BRZ back and do a uh, just a purely automatic. Um, 228 horsepower, I think. 220, something around there. Uh, it's not a lot of horsepower, especially when Brian brought up something like the Supra, which we just drove the the newest version, and I was like shocked at how much more that extra like 80 horsepower, whatever it was, that they got from the original Supra. Um, it, it does a lot for it, and then when you consider this car that's 228, it's like eh, kind of wants some more, which was the argument we had the first time. It'll still be fun to drive, though. I wonder if Toyota will do anything different with the 86. I uh, can't wait to find out. But, you know, it, it's interesting because they do have the Supra. So I, I don't know. The, I think the new chassis is supposed to help it handle a lot better. And supposedly there's uh, much stickier tires on it, uh, which mm -hmm. if you remember, part of what made the BRZ and FRS so uh, much fun is that even with the little horsepower, you could still – kind of get out of control with them so uh yeah. i'm not sure if that'll change with the uh new chassis but either way it'll, it'll be a fun car for sure the, the last brz we had i had a ton of fun driving it so i mean all the stuff i set aside it it is fun you know in this day and age and i should let jessica jump in here but in this day and age where everybody's dropping their sport e-car coupes or sports cars we have to be thankful that these two brands uh, are keeping it up Jessica, any uh, impressions, anything you want to add? Well, I mean, you know, the styling obviously hasn't changed much, but I don't feel like that's surprising. And um, because of uh, how conservative Subarus tend to be or how they tend to look. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's not a lot of horsepower, but it's a small, lightweight vehicle. So uh, yeah, it's just one of those things that we have to drive to be able to uh, truly comments on 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 how good it's going to be but i'm certainly excited to uh get behind the wheel i guess it'll be a while but uh, at least we know it's coming and it's, it's for real greg i'm gonna turn it over to you to to talk about the lightning round because it's kind of a complicated subject that we're going to attack this week yeah and uh, it kind of piggybacks on the whole uh, we were talking about subaru we're glad they they did at least bring back the brz um it's talking about sports cars and uh, former motor week staffer you all remember him joe ligo and i were uh having a distance correspondence on our phones and uh, he forwarded me a road and track article called uh, income inequality is killing the sports car 
um, which kind of takes a different approach than some other people where they say cars are just too expensive. They're saying car manufacturers are making cars too expensive. Uh, instead here, he's saying basically the um, stagnant wages uh, compared to skyrocketing home prices between 1990, he, he picked 1990 uh, when uh, the Miata was like $14,000. The average uh, like 25 year old male was making uh, or $25,000, something like that. Anyway, the fact that uh, income inequality is really to blame more so than the uh, sky or the, the rising price of cars. And uh, what's happening is, is what he was opining was that because people in my age group, which is roughly 30 years old, which is historically when people would start having a little bit of extra cash, they could go out and buy a sports car. They could become enthusiasts if they weren't already. That's not happening because we're trying to buy houses that are way too expensive. Uh, and it's kind of killing sports cars. So I just was curious because we have a lot of demographics here covered. Uh, I was wondering what everybody else felt about his argument. Okay, well, I'll, I'll eat up the dinner. You started. <laughs> this, <laughs> this we always like wait for you anyway. So let's, let's get, bring this up front. This sounds like it would get into some kind of political discussion that we're not uh, permitted to get into at this time and format. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm not sure who's buying them, but there's more performance cars out now than ever before. And I think people's tastes just change. I'm not sure it has anything to do with income inequality. I mean, I just think people have different priorities. Um, there's plenty more to do out there than drive a car. So to keep people entertained. Um, but I mean, I, we're just talking about the BRZ coming out cars like that. I mean, there's more high performance stuff. Now you can buy a Chrysler product with 700 horsepower. I mean, there's just so much high performance stuff. I don't know who's buying it or if people are buying it, but I know the manufacturers are putting it out like never before. So I'm not sure I really get the argument. I, it's interesting. Cause I, I actually have thought about this particular topic, um, quite a bit because you know, uh, a lot of people, when they watch our retro reviews, they'll, they'll be like, gosh, I miss, you know, uh, the inexpensive whatever. Um, and then you put the numbers through an inflation calculator and it sort of ends up being very similar to what, you know, mm -hmm. a model that cost 30 years ago, put it through the inflation calculator, it costs very similar to what it still is today. Um, so yeah that this is this is something i've i've certainly thought about and i think being in a similar situation you know uh i just bought a house so i have no interest in buying a car anytime soon mm -hmm. um and so i think a lot of people do think like that uh and it's it's a shame um uh, so yeah I'll give my two cents worth in. I think there's some validity to the argument because I've heard from folks, you know, in their 30s, they're still paying off their college debt. Uh, many of them have you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay off there. They're raising a family and their first priority, of course, is probably an SUV. But when you step back, look at the price of vehicles that we test on the show. Thirty-five, forty-five, $55,000. And we're not talking about, you know, prestige vehicles. We're talking about Hyundais and, and, and alike. 
So vehicle prices are being pushed up fast all over the board. We're talking $80,000 for a light duty pickup truck that's well outfitted. And we just talked about the F-150 and all the stuff it's got on it, which is gonna cost. All the uh, infotainment uh, aspects, all the safety stuff that everybody wants. It all costs money. So there's no question that since the, once we got over the, the, uh, uh, the 2009 Great Recession, that car prices have exploded and continue to explode. And they have grown faster than incomes, which by the way, is historically accurate. Car prices have often grown faster than incomes. But I think that while that may be true, and I think people that used to buy sports cars, as to Brian's point, are buying chargers and high-performance SUVs, which the Germans are, you know, turning out uh, factories all around the world almost like chiclets. Uh, so I don't. I think it's just they look at a sports car and think. You know, it's nice, but if I can get performance in something that I can carry home 40-pound bags of dog food and still get some driving enjoyment out of it, I'm going to go that route. So I guess I don't think the article's totally true, but I think it has – it's a piece of the puzzle. But I worry that cars and trucks are just getting far too expensive, period. Uh, and, you know, you've got seven- and eight-year loans now. What's next? Ten? Twelve? Yeah, again, again, that's so much of the things that regulate all the safety and emission stuff that they have to put in. I mean, it just yeah. inflates weight and inflates price. But just tagging on to what you were, were getting at there, there, even basic cars have so much performance. You know, 30 years ago, if you wanted any type of performance, you had to get a performance car. Right. Now you can buy a TRD Camry that probably outhandles half of the cars that were available 30 sure. years ago. So you don't have to buy a performance car to get some really driving car to drive, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very valid. It's a it's a great topic. Uh, and I just you know I I, I remember ancient history uh, back in the uh, '80s when we went through uh, kind of a similar situation, looking at a lot of the the cars that had bigger engines and performance, and they were costing so much, particularly the import German vehicles. And what happened, the, uh, the Japanese brands came up and did luxury marks like Lexus and Acura and stole the show. And I think a lot of people are waiting for either the Chinese or perhaps even automakers from India uh, to uh, come in as a leveling agent on prices again. And who knows, could happen anytime. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, it's interesting you say that, John, because you know, I get, I, I'm sort of the uh, correspondence the person. Yeah. yeah, uh at Motor Week. So I do get uh, you know, emails of, of, of people who are just like, Man, you know, cars are so expensive these days. Right. Um, I mean, who would have thought we would have tested a, a Tahoe that costs like seventy five thousand dollars, upwards of eighty. Yeah. You know, that's that's escalade territory. So um it, it's there's definitely something to to be said about the, the higher level trims. I mean, speaking of the F-150, the base model starts at around 30 yeah. and it goes upwards to 80 when it's all the way outfitted. That's right. an incredible uh, <laughs> difference between the two. Um, so it's, uh, it just depends on your priorities because 
I know you could still get, uh, my brother bought a, a Honda Civic a couple, like two years ago, and he was able to get it, the MSRP under $20,000 and it wasn't a base mm-hmm. model. So it's sort of a give and take, you know, some, some there's than others, I think as well. Well, no question about it. If it's got, if it's a car, yeah, it's a high value right now. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, a, there's a lot of cars out there that are sitting and, and not going anywhere and you can get them for great prices. It's also one of the reasons the used car market's so hot. People can't afford the new stuff and they're looking at two-year-old ones. All right, let's move on to our viewer question from Kathy. This is a really good question and it probably deserves a lot of discussion like we just did. Say it says, I see plenty of videos on how to jumpstart a hybrid. In her, her case, she's got a 2016 but never see any on how to give a jump start from a hybrid to a non-hybrid. As you know, the hood doesn't have the battery in most cases located under it. It's somewhere else, maybe the trunk. So is it safe to give a jump start? And how do you do that with a RAV4 hybrid, which she has? Anybody want to start? Uh, I'll refrain from getting, giving any poor uh, redneck-based advice at this time uh, and consult the uh, owner's manual and anyone else who has good information. Uh, I mean, it's, can it be done? Uh, I would say probably, uh, and I'm not going to speak to any experience on it. Uh, it should not be done as far as I know, everything I've read, we've talked to Pat Goss many times about it. And to go even further, it's not even recommended to traditionally jumpstart any car anymore, really. Right. It should all be done with the packs. Because of the electronics are so sensitive to voltage charges. Right. Jessica, before I open my mouth, you go, anything you want to ask? I'll let you guys handle this one. Now, I we, we knew this question was coming up, so I did a little extra research, and, and Greg and Brian are correct that, you know, Pat has long said jump starts are a bad idea, and it's not just the electronics. It's a lot of people try and jump start their cars with really cheap jumper cables that can't handle the load and uh, could cause other problems. But what I've read is that every hybrid's different, and that some do have a if the battery's elsewhere and you can't get at it, they'll have a, a post. It could be inside the, the fuse box, as it is on a Toyota Prius, where you can connect jumper cables to start the hybrid in an emergency or use uh, a battery pack. On the other hand, if you want to go the other way and use your hybrid, and you're using the 12-volt system now, not the hybrid battery part, the problem is some hybrids have a regular full-size car battery that, that turns the starter, and if you can get to it, sure, you can do it. But others apparently use the 12-volt system just for accessories and have a small battery, maybe akin to a motorcycle, and if you try to charge something else with that battery, you won't be able to do it and can cause damage. So I have to say, Kathy, that the general consensus is don't do it. Uh, go out and buy a $100 lithium-ion battery jump starter. Keep it with your vehicle. You want to help somebody else out. You've got that in the back. They hold charges for a long, long time. Uh, but don't try and jump start 
a non-hybrid with your hybrid unless you really, really know uh, what you're doing. And I don't think it's even covered in the owner's manuals. If it is, read it very carefully, but uh, it's not a good idea. I think that sums it up. Sorry, we couldn't be more positive. Uh, and with that, <laughs> anybody got a rant and rave this week that we haven't covered recently, like bad driving behavior? And finally, the polls are showing, which we all knew, which is more people are getting speeding tickets because of less traffic. Well, to piggyback on the whole being positive thing. Uh, Good. We need that. We well, this is not positive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's, it's more or less about people not being positive. And it, yeah. It's fine. Yeah. I get it. I, I can definitely be a negative Nancy. Uh, but um, we posted a picture of the Mach-E, which I recently drove. Can't talk about it yet, but uh, we obviously could Next post podcast. pictures of, of the style. Yeah. Um, and just how quickly we accumulated just vicious comments and, and not to, to be fair to everybody, nobody was really like attacking a person's mother or anything like that, but it was all about how the car that hardly anybody in the world has ever driven is a terrible car. It is an embarrassment that was used several times. I get it. They use the term, the Mustang name, right? Do you agree with it? I don't love the idea that they did it, but it doesn't ruin my day. And I just, it's, uh, you know, if I had to just make one plea to everybody, and I know it's a very small group of people, just like, I don't know, is it is it that serious that you have to really work yourself up on the internet about? And like, because then it gets me all upset. Come on, Greg, <laughs> spreading hatred on the on the internet is all I have left. Don't take that from me. <laughs> so you're the guy who's always commenting on my videos. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm the one who posts that stuff. And um, it's like any, it's, it's actually, it's anything with the Mach-E. I mean, it's really not well received from Ford people, um, which I've seen it in person and driven in it and, it kind of makes me sad because I, I like it. And so. Uh, it's a nice looking vehicle. Yeah. And it goes people, fast. It does. It, uh, yeah. Some people are just. Uh, yeah. Some Debbie Downers, I guess. I think they're probably, you know, uh, there's going to be a, a big resistance or there is a big resistance to the whole idea of performance in EVs. People just can't get over the fact that EVs are so fast because of instant torque. I have noticed though, that a lot of the um, articles and press materials, especially stuff from Ford, they seem to be downplaying the Mustang name a little bit. I mean, it's becoming more and more mocky when they, they talk about it. Maybe they're getting that kind of flack too. But, the, but you know, same thing happened when Porsche did its first SUV. I mean, there were people just, we didn't have the the internet like we have it today as far as being such a communicative uh, uh, system. But, you know, everybody you talked to that was a, a Porsche fan just thought the idea was horrible, including myself. And uh, now it's, it's what saved the company in best-selling models. So um, it is the future, folks, whether you like it or not. Get on, you know, if you don't want to get on board, that's fine. But I don't think you can fight it. It's I do f find myself saying Ford almost like sometimes Ford Mach-E instead of Ford Mustang Mach-E. Yeah, I think too. a lot of people do. So maybe they didn't anticipate that either. But I just want to say like, oh, Mach-E, but it's Mustang Mach-E because it's probably right. a Mustang 
brand family, but that, you know, that's a whole other thing with Ford trying to build these families um, with, you know, the brands within the brand. So uh, like with Bronco. So that's a whole, that's a whole nother story. And I think they were trying to make the point that an EV can be very, very fast as a Mustang. So, mm -hmm. you know, I see why they, well, I mean, there's a lot of, we're, we're still hearing rumors of, you know, an EV Corvette and a Corvette SUV and who knows. Yeah, I think just the important last note is nobody's coming to take your current Mustang and they're going to keep building their Mustang, the new Mustang. So just everybody take a breath. It's okay. Maybe those folks out in California, it's a long way until the 15 years till you supposedly can't buy a new uh, gasoline powered vehicle anymore. And we will see whether that's really true or not. Uh, at least I hope I do. And uh, with that, let's bring to a close our podcast number uh, 243. Thank you all uh, for being uh, Brian and Greg and Jessica for basically just your terrific comments as always. To all of you out there, um, we want to thank our, the folks you don't normally see on the podcast, uh, Jim Bigwood, who is our uh, audio supervisor to make sure that everything comes out the way we sort of intended to or hope it will. Uh, Greg, of course, here is our producer and takes care of the editing. Uh, Bob Mixter created the whole idea of podcast. But it's you out there that basically make these podcasts what they are, your enthusiasm when we get the feedback. Uh, if, you've any, if you haven't caught the podcast before, thanks for joining us. But remember, you can catch Motor Week on just about anywhere you have an electronic device. Uh, of course, we've got our motorweek.org website, our YouTube website, uh, youtube.com slash motorweek. We have all of our features that Jessica basically makes sure as soon as we've aired a show or put it up on cable, the segments uh, go up there. We're on cable on our Motor Trend uh, cable partner. And of course, on public TV stations around the country uh, and even Armed Forces uh, television overseas. But if you don't know where to watch us, go to our website, pbs.motorweek.org or pbs.org slash motorweek. You can pull down a list and put in your zip code, find your local times. Wherever you go, if you want to keep up with MotorWeek, you can do it. And of course, we try to do that with our uh, uh, website with the daily news update. So we're there. We're part of the automotive world, and we hope to be around for a long time to keep you informed on what's coming down the pipe, EV and otherwise. Till next time, thanks for being a part of MotorWeek. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.